Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 859. This is part three of our three-part workshop with Stephanie Robson on kitchen design and layout. I think the best thing you can do is don't do anything fast. Plan carefully and you'll make good choices. If you do something quickly, the chances of making mistakes goes up. So do your due diligence worth every penny. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by DiageoBarAcademy.com, a free online resource for hospitality professionals, offering resources for bartenders at all levels. And in February of 2022, Diageo Bar Academy celebrates 10 years, 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. Over the past 10 years, Diageo Bar Academy has built a global community fueled by education and inspiration. And during this time, over 120 million bar professionals across 178 countries has joined Diageo Bar Academy in physical and virtual training sessions. Whether you are a bartender, bar back, or manager, or even if you're completely new to the industry, Diageo Bar Academy has easy to access resources to help you learn new skills and stay in the loop with all the latest industry trends. Stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or your business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Why wait? Visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O. GEOBARACADEMY.COM. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Nowadays, people don't want to speak face to face. They rather communicate via text message and keep it anonymous. Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is convenient to you. And I think the most valuable aspect of talk to the manager is that you give people an opportunity to vent before they go public and write a negative review. Sometimes people just want to be heard and talk to the manager gives them that opportunity to be heard. Plus, you don't have to worry about your information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the phone number that talk to the manager provides. Also, with talk to the manager, it's like having a secret shopper. People will tell you any issues they come across at your restaurants, whether you want to hear them or not, but they'll be brought to your attention and that will help you improve your business. Show your guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And I have to say, I haven't come across a restaurateur using Seven Shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communications, tasks, tips, and more all in one place. And because you are restaurant unstoppable, listeners, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. What's going on? Unstoppable. 
Unstoppables, we are back for our three-part workshop on kitchen design and layout with Stephanie Robson. Today, we're going deep into kitchen equipment. This episode is packed full of great advice. You're really in for a a great treat. This whole workshop has been great, but today we're going to be going deeper into uh, things like where to start when you're looking for your equipment, you know, how to find the equipment, uh, what questions to ask yourself. And then once you kind of narrow down what you need, really how to find it and things to take into consideration when it comes to the cost sourcing, uh, places to find the, the information about this equipment. It's, it's a really powerful episode. You're going to leave today's recording, learning something new. And I do want to make sure I want to put emphasis on the fact that if you do, do decide to work with Stephanie, she does offer some coaching uh, it's $300 an hour and she's going to kick back $50 to me for every person, for every hour, uh, somebody sits with her and, and talks. So if you guys, uh, do reach out to her, thank you so much in advance for supporting the show. Uh, you are supporting the show if you do reach out to her and I just can't stress enough, uh, how far it goes when you guys use my affiliates. Uh, that is such a huge way to keep this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming the industry going. Uh, So with that said, enjoy today's episode. Here it is. With excitement, allow me to welcome back on the show for part three of the three-part workshop on kitchen design and layout. Today's guest, Meredith Faculty of the School of Hotel. Wait, now I screw up the name of the school. The School of Cornell University, Stephanie Robson. Stephanie, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling very unstoppable. Let's hope the weather is unstoppable too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What, <laughs> the weather, the weather will absolutely be unstoppable, which is what I'm worried about. <laughs> uh, the reason why we're talking about this is because I have a planned trip to New Orleans in, in three days, and uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, so, like I mentioned, this is part three of our three-part workshop on kitchen design and layout. Uh, episodes 855 and 857. If you guys want to go check out part one and two. Uh, Today, we're talking all about kitchen equipment, and I cannot wait to dive in. But before we do, it's a tradition here. We have have to get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Well, I'm going to use the same mantra that I use for this entire workshop series because it's absolutely crucial that you be sure you're right and then go full steam ahead. So that's my mantra. I love it. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. And let's just get right into it because I'm chomping at the bit. Uh, where do we start when it comes to kitchen equipment? Well, I'm going to sort of use the analogy of buying a kitchen equipment is like buying cars. And it's easy to get trapped into buying more than you need or being swayed by the sexy latest feature, the sexy latest thing. So I want to sort of go through a series of things to think about. And if at the end of all those things, you still want to buy the sexy latest thing, fine. But you've got to, first of all, figure out what you want this equipment to be able to do for you. Just like if you're going to buy a car, what do you want that car to be able to do for you? And a lot of people starting out with the restaurant think they have to have the perfect piece of equipment for each item on their menu. And that may not necessarily be true because you're not buying too much equipment that way. We've talked in earlier sessions about wanting to keep your kitchen as tight, as small as is feasible. Not as small as possible, but as small as is feasible. And so if you start jamming all kinds of equipment into it, you're going to find it hard to work and also more expensive. So you want to start off with what exactly do you want this equipment to do for you? 
And the way I usually tell people to do that is take a look at your menu, or if you don't have a set menu, take a look at the kinds of food that you want to serve and back out what pieces of equipment you need to prepare those items. So you give you an example. Let's say you want to do homemade apple pie with ice cream as a dessert. Okay. Everybody loves that. There's lots of questions you have to answer about how you're going to produce the, the pie. Are you going to bake it from scratch or are you going to prepare it from frozen? Are you going to make your own ice cream? Are you going to uh, make your own filling, but buy the pie crust? These are all things that are going to influence what equipment you're going to need. So you got to sort of think through your menu first and make a list of all the equipment that you think you're going to require. Start with the end of mind and reverse engineer. Absolutely. But this is another great trick because as you do this exercise and you make a list of all the pieces of equipment you need, then you can look at all of those items and see if there's pieces of equipment that are only doing one thing or working for one menu item. So, uh, you know, I'm a horrible geek, right? I like to put this in Excel because what I'll do is put the menu item and then list the equipment in Excel. And the reason I do that is then I can sort it and then I can see are there pieces of equipment that are getting used a lot or pieces of equipment that are getting used only once or twice? And you don't want either of those things because if you have a piece of equipment that you're using all the time, you may find, yeah, you're going to get bottlenecks, right? And if you're not using that equipment much at all, maybe there's another way you can do this and not have to get that additional piece in your kitchen and pay for it and all that good stuff. So that's a good place to begin. What do you think you need? And then, Look at it to see the volume, the pressure you're putting on that piece of equipment, or if it's something that you're not using very often. So primarily, you're just making sure that you're not over-purchasing equipment that isn't going to be used that often because you don't want to take up you know, valuable real estate. And then the, on the other side, you also are looking to make sure that not every menu item depends on this one piece because then you're obviously going to run into issues with trying to get stuff out. That's exactly right. Wonderful summary. Beautiful. Uh, um, okay, take it from there. Okay, so the next thing, once you sort of figure out what equipment you think you need, the next one is to figure out how big or how much capacity you think you're going to require. And this is where you can talk to an equipment dealer and they can help you. And a little bit later on, I'm going to talk about dealers versus not using dealers and things to watch out for. But dealers tend to know a lot and they will often give you good advice about, for example, let's say you need a fryer. Well, how much fryer capacity are you going to actually require? So you can talk through with them what your menu is, what you think your volume might be. And I always tell people to assume you need 25% more capacity than you think you do because your menu might change or you might have people who really just like one menu item. And so you want to have a little bit of excess capacity, but not too much. 25% is probably about right. Got it. I have no questions in that. Pretty straightforward. No questions. Um, I mean, okay. One of the things too that comes to mind is if you scale, you don't want to outgrow your space. If you leave a little room for growth, you can stay in your space a little longer. That's what was going through my mind. You are exactly right as well. You should do this job. You should ah. be designing. You got all the details right there. I'm just a student. <laughs> yeah, excess capacity is is okay as long as it's not too much Mm -hmm. and again it's like a car right you know if if you don't need a minivan occasionally you might but it doesn't make sense to buy a minivan and you're only going to use it that way you know two days a year but if you think you're going to start getting dogs or having children then maybe getting a minivan is not a bad idea got it so step one first ask what 
are you going to cook reverse engineer it from there and then ask what will my capacity be uh right. any other tricks that we should know about when considering capacity there are a couple of things one is again if you're not using a piece of equipment very much ask yourself if you can produce the menu item in a different way so let me give you an example let's say you're doing burgers and with burgers obviously you've got buns and I'm assuming you're going to toast the bun, right? Most people like to at least heat up the bun and ideally toast it. So, okay, you can toast a bun lots of different ways, right? You can put it right on the griddle. You can run it through a rotary toaster. Uh, you don't want to use a pop-up toaster in a restaurant setting, right? You'll be there forever. Yeah. Um, so you might say to yourself, I don't think I'm going to have enough volume to justify a rotary toaster, but I can add something like that later. So another trick is to make a list and say, maybe I can phase some of this stuff in. In other words, as my volume increases and my cash flow increases, maybe I can get that piece of equipment later. This is a great one. Let's say you're doing pizza or calzones, perhaps. And a lot of people say, I'm going to you know, make everything from scratch. And then they make a list of all the equipment. And they're like, oh, that, that's a lot. And they decide they're going to buy their dough initially. But then as you grow, move into making it. So you can look at some pieces of equipment and say to yourself in the short term, I'll use a different method to produce this item. When I get bigger and more uh, have more cash flow, I'll get another piece of equipment, and then I can plan for that piece of equipment during design. See, I, I recommend people take this approach. And I've even seen in my interviews where people start with, with a really simple menu in the beginning and over time as their customers like, why don't you have this? Why don't you have that? They're like, that's not a bad idea. And they're basically just kind of in real time doing like, collecting data right just through conversation and like evolving their menu over time as they scale as they grow um i mean i just think focusing on doing one thing really well is like one of the biggest lessons i've learned and if you can start there and let that be your trojan like you know whatever your trojan horse or whatever you want to call it your 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 prize pony whatever you want to ride into the into the future you know just start small scale over time and i think people get in trouble trying to do everything from day one you know uh and not having the cash flow, the, 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 you know, the, the cap, the, we talked about this the first time you were on the show, the under being undercapitalized and just having the, how to, how to budget for scaling over time. And then also just not having the people to execute. It takes time to grow people. It takes time to train people and in today's market. You know, it, it might be you for a little while and just you for a little while until things turn around. What, what's going through your mind as I say this? Well, a, I agree with you a hundred percent and B you have to be very careful about, taking your menu in too many different directions, even later on. Mm -hmm. No, you're absolutely right. When you first start, you want to start simple with signature items that you want to be known for. As you grow, if you start adding too much to your menu, you start to lose a little bit about who you are. I mean, it's one thing to add a menu item that is a, a sort of a natural outgrowth of your signature but I've seen restaurants, McDonald's did this, right? McDonald's kind of went down a path where they thought, oh, you know, the market really wants us to add these, you know, pretty soon we have more than just burgers. Now we have the McRib and now we have the chicken sandwich and then we have the salads. In Canada, where I'm from, they added pizza. Wow. So McPizza, I know. <laughs> it was actually not bad considering, but they started adding all this stuff and what ended up happening was they stopped being the McDonald's brand and their stores got too expensive to build out. And they started to run into a real sort of, you never think of McDonald's as running into a cash crunch, but they did. Um, so they had to sort of pull back 
and drop some of these menu items, even though the customers seem to want them. So there is a lot to be said for thinking about what your concept is and being true to it and adding items that make sense for your concept, but try not to go too far off the path. That is what makes you special. Beautiful. So step one, start with the end in mind, uh, and then reverse engineer your equipment to, to meet your needs, and then ask uh, how much capacity do you think you'll need? What's after that? Okay, so now you know what you need. The next question is, what are the features it does it have to have to work for you? Because just again, like cars, equipment has all kinds of features. One of those features is actual physical size. And for most people starting up a restaurant, you're probably going into leased space. And for many of us, that means leased space in buildings that might be a little bit older or sort of funky shaped space that we can afford. This is going to sound like a no brainer, but make sure the piece of equipment actually fits into your building. horror stories of people buying, I don't know, like a big deck oven, for example. I know, Eric, you know, you're interested in in that piece of equipment for your concept. Those are beasts. And to be able to get it in a doorway, around corners, downstairs, you know, you're about to move house, right? So, you know, when you move, you've got big bulky things. You got to figure out how you're going to get them where they need to go. Equipment does not bend. (laughs) So will it fit in your space? Um, does your space have the utility connections that are needed for that piece of equipment? So you really got two choices with equipment, electric and gas. Now I'm talking about equipment that requires heating something, you know, things like shelving and prep tables. You don't have to worry about utilities necessarily, but if you have either equipment that requires heating something, you can use electricity or gas. And then with gas, you've got the choice of, natural gas or liquid propane. And you can't just swap it out. If you bought a gas range that's designed for propane, you can't just say, oh, I'm just going to use natural gas. It's fine. So what kind of utilities do you need? Does your building have those utilities? Let me give you an example with refrigeration. So a lot of restaurants, you'll have a walk-in refrigerator or a walk-in box, or you know, there's lots of different terms people use for it. The systems that run those refrigeration Uh, run that equipment, you can either buy it what we call air-cooled or water-cooled. And air-cooled doesn't mean it's, you know, got some fancy jet engine cooling system. It's just using the natural air to remove the heat off of the condensing unit. So anybody has air, but the problem is that doesn't really do a great job of removing the heat. You know, you're in a warm, humid kitchen. So a lot of people decide they want to get a water-cooled compressor or water-cooled refrigeration system, which is much more efficient. You get a better or better result. But if your building doesn't have what's called a chilled water loop, in other words, if your building doesn't have central air conditioning, you probably can't get a water-cooled refrigeration system because the water that you'll be using to cool the system, you're going to end up dumping it down the drain, which is terrible. It's environmentally bad. And it's going to cost you a fortune in utilities. So if your building has a chilled water loop, Oh, now you can look at getting water-cooled refrigeration and you'll get better results. So as you're looking at spaces, you can ask the landlord, you know, do we have a chilled water loop I can tap into for my refrigeration? And what you're looking for is central air in that. that, That's the answer. Generally, if there's central air, the building has a chilled water loop. That's a gross oversimplification, but yeah. Um, And a lot of the buildings we go into don't, right? You know, Mm -hmm. the older buildings especially. So what utilities does this equipment need? Will it fit in the building? And then what goodies, what attachments, what features do you want this equipment to have? 
again, I'm going to use the analogy of a car, right? Car, you can select a whole bunch of options. And some of them are just fun to have, but you don't really need them. And other ones are absolutely crucial for what you're going to do. So when you're looking at the equipment, look for what particular options you need. And like cars, you get charged for all those options. Give me an example of a piece of equipment that has a special specific feature that might be unique. Um, Let's talk about a a saute range. Okay. So, you know, an open burner range, you know, whether it's four burners or six. And then underneath that surface, you can have either a regular oven, a convection oven, which will cost you a little bit more, or you can have nothing. It can either be a storage base, or you can even get a countertop unit that just sits on top of something else. So when you're thinking about your floor plan and you're sort of drawing, okay, here's where my six burner range is going to go. What's under that? And do I need the convection oven feature? Um, That'll cost you more, but you have to order it ahead of time. You can't add it later. So that's one option. Another one is, let's using your calzone example, let's say you want to make your own dough. So you're going to get one of those big mixers. So probably for dough, you'll want a dough hook. and But you might want to use that mixer for other things. Maybe you need some other kinds of attachments. Maybe you're going to grind meat for your fillings, and you'll need the meat grinder attachment that goes on the hub of that mixer. Yep. That's going to be an extra that you got to order ahead of time. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so we're talking about uh, the features, the taking into account the features that you'll need. What are the features it has to work for you is what you said. Physical size, utility connection. We talked about refrigeration to gas versus electric. Uh, special features, meaning like little uh, utility features that are going on the, all these little pieces of equipment. Uh, what else? I think that was a quick summary of what we've talked to up to this point. Did I miss anything? No, no, it's good. And where you find this information about the features, so every piece of equipment that you can buy, and we'll talk about whether you should buy it new or not in a second, but every piece of equipment you can buy, there are PDFs of what's called a cut sheet. A cut sheet, or sometimes it's just referred to as the brochure. It's a summary of all the features that this piece of equipment has. And it also has all the technical information about what size the connection is. So let's talk about that gas range again. You need to know where is the gas connection on that piece of equipment and how big is it? Because you're going to need to get your pipe fitter or your other um, installers to make sure they have the right connection points for you when you put it in. So you want to get a copy of this uh, cut sheet. You can get them online. Just search for the piece of equipment and you can find them. Again, it's often called a brochure. (coughs) Excuse me. But you'll also see a list of all the features that are available to you on that sheet. And read it really carefully because there's one particular brand. I'm not going to mention it by name because I don't want to sound negative. I want to say positive things about brands. But read to see, for example, if it comes with its own cord and plug. There's a certain very well-known brand that makes prep equipment. And when you order the item, if you don't specify you actually want the electrical cord that connects the equipment to your outlet, they won't send it. Well, I I would imagine I can see why they would keep that separate because every equipment might – you don't want excess cord, right? And you never know how far away from the plug it's going to be. So I can see why they would want to – I see the benefit of making that optional so you can order exactly what you need. Is that why they do it? 
Um, I don't know, because as far as I know, they only have one length of cord that they offer. Oh, so you know. <laughs> but six feet. But, you know, what you say makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, I think they're just being a little cheeky. Uh, you know, when you say, oh, I want to order this piece of equipment. And, and when it shows up and you're like, how do I plug it in? Oh, you wanted a cord? Oh, okay. That's that's an extra $27.80. So they're just trying to keep the, the the ticket price as low as possible by not including all the features. So you buy it and then you have to spend more money later. Yeah. Oh, so again, like, like cars, that. right? Yeah, don't oh, mention the name of the brand. you wanted to be able to open the window. Oh, you didn't tell us you wanted to open the windows. Oh, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell me afterwards who does that. Um Okay, so I know you wanted to talk about what are the features to look for, and that's what are we into that? Are we getting into that now? Is that? Yeah, I, I mean, want to we, make sure we can that talk about that okay. because a lot of people to find information about this equipment. You know, you you can look at all the information about it online, right? I mentioned these cut sheets or brochures, but most of the time in our industry, we talk to each other, right? Mm-hmm. We talked of earlier on in an earlier session about visiting kitchens and taking a look at them and seeing what they had and. And that's a really good way of sort of collecting information. But the sorts of things you want to look for, not only does it have the features you want, but how easy is it to take care of this piece of equipment? So how easy is it to clean? And generally, when I'm looking around a kitchen, and if I see a dirty piece of equipment, it tells me one of two things. Either the restaurant's not being managed very well, or that equipment is a real pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. And so you just don't want to spend the energy on keeping it as clean as you need to. So can you clean it? How easy is it to get parts for this thing? Because let's face it, these are uh, mechanical items. Some things have very few parts, but if you're getting something like a combination oven steamer, what we often call a combi, those things have all kinds of parts that the motherboards on those tend to get moisture in them and they, they die on you. How easy is it to get replacement parts? Who locally can look after this piece of equipment for you? Um, are there local repair people? Let me give you a little story. So I was designing um, a whole bunch of hospital kitchens. They were sort of linked in a hospital system. And they were all going to do one big production kitchen and then had these satellite kitchens in these various hospitals. So it was a big project, lots and lots of money. And the client wanted to go look at equipment um, in Europe. So I got to go to Europe to look at equipment. Nice. That was fun. Yeah, nice. Um, and we were looking at all this amazing stuff designed for big hospital kitchens, big ticket items. But nobody in North America could maintain these. They, you couldn't get the parts. They, there were no repair people that were trained to use the stuff. And even though it was the exact right piece of equipment for this project, I counseled against using it because sure, it'll go in and look fantastic and work beautifully. And the first time it stops working beautifully, you'll be in for a world of hurt. Yeah. When you have to pay for the hotel and the airfare for the person to come out here and fix it, it's going to be, uh, yeah. That's right. And the the air freight and in customs, all your, it's just a nightmare. So this is an issue sometimes with chefs, right? They see a piece of equipment that comes from France or Italy or Japan and they get all excited and they want to have it in their kitchen. And I'm like, that's great, but recognize it's got to be taken care of. Yeah. You actually Uh, just brought something up. That's really important too. And I've seen this hurt people in the past is you can't just, it's not like ordering something off Amazon, if you're getting this big equipment shipped, like it has to go through customs and they have to unpackage it and inspect it. And that, that process can be held up for a long time. I've oh, heard gosh, yeah. stories of like, like half a year, something was like held up in customs. 
Absolutely. And there's another issue. I'm glad you raised this point, Eric, because pieces of equipment that we use in commercial kitchens have to be what's called UL listed, underwriters laboratory. UL listed just means that the equipment's been tested, it's safe, and it, you know the U.S. has approved you using it. So if you're ordering equipment from elsewhere or you're making your own, and I say that kind of with a funny look on my face because there are some people who think, oh, I'm handy. You know, I can take this valve from that I got at Home Depot and I can get a garbage can and drill a hole in it and I can make my own thing. Don't do that <laughs> because unless you are – Uh, just doing it for yourself and cooking for yourself in your own home. And even then I would not recommend it. Everything that you have in your kitchen needs to be UL listed. And a lot of international suppliers, the equipment items are not UL listed. So it would have to go through a testing process in the U S and get approval before you can have it. So be very sure that you have both the the capacity, the financial capacity and the the guts to get stuff from outside the U.S. Support local. Support local. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's lots of great U.S. Especially made right now with all that's going on with uh, the just uh, the supply chain shipments. And yeah, I, I would support. It's local. hard enough within the country. Uh, I know. Right. So UL, uh, what's that stand for one more time? Underwriters Laboratory. Is that just so there'll my- be a little symbol and you'll see it next time you, you know, if you're using a, a hairdryer or you're using a, a piece of equipment in your kitchen, just take a look. You'll see a little circle with a U and an L in it. And it shows you that that's a UL listed piece of equipment. Got it. Um, is now a good time to thank our sponsors? I think it's a great time to thank our sponsors. We're going to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to unpackage more about uh, what, where to get this information and how to acquire your equipment. This episode is brought to you by DiagioBarAcademy.com, a free online resource for hospitality professionals, offering resources for bartenders at all levels. And this February 2022 is Diageo Bar Academy's 10-year anniversary. Congratulations. And over the past 10 years, Diageo Bar Academy has built a global community fueled by education and inspiration. During this time, over 120 million bar professionals across 178 countries has joined Diageo Bar Academy in physical and virtual training sessions. Whether you are a bartender, bar back, or manager, or even if you're completely new to the industry, Diageo Bar Academy has easy-to-access resources to help you learn new skills or stay in the loop with all the latest industry trends. Speaking of trends, make sure you head over to DiageoBarAcademy.com to check out the top trends for 2022 and beyond. Inspiration for seasonal recipes in low slash no ABV serves, which is pretty popular right now. Thousands of recipes for all styles of cocktails, e-learning and masterclasses available on demand in weekly newsletters so you are always in the know. Diageo Bar Academy provides everything you need to improve your career in the industry, diverse content featuring experts from around the globe, member-only exclusive content and events, and ABV calculators, large format cocktails, and profit calculators to boot. There's so many tools for you. Stay informed, inspired, and connected to grow your career or business by joining Diageo Bar Academy today. Why wait? Visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O 
baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O, baracademy.com. All right, we are back and now we're going to get into what to get or sorry, where to get the information. But before we dive into where to get the information to select our equipment, is there anything else regarding features we should know about? Yeah, there, there actually is. And that's what other equipment does this piece of equipment need to connect to? Okay. So let me give you a great example. Most people will have a cooking line. Right. It's where you do your alminute finishing. So you probably have a range and you maybe have fryers and you maybe have, I don't know, uh, griddle, all those pieces of equipment. It's a good idea to try to get them all from the same manufacturer. If you're talking about a cooking line and I'll say this for a couple of reasons. One is those are designed to fit together. So where the gas connections are, most piece of equipment will have a gas connection in the back. And they may also have a way to connect at the front along sort of the front edge of the cooking surface. If you have equipment that all works together, you can have a single gas connection coming in the back and then it can all be connected with the same piping across the front. That will save you money. Now, if you ever need to take equipment out and swap it, it's a little bit more of a hassle. But if you have everything that's designed to fit together, those gas connections will line up. But here's something else that's really nice. If they're designed to fit together, you will have this nice, smooth, seamless front to your cooking line. If you're buying equipment from all different manufacturers, they might be slightly different lengths. And and if that's the case, you still want to have a nice, smooth front to your equipment line. What I mean by that is all the equipment aligns along the surface that you're cooking on. So when you're scooting back and forth, preparing food, right, you're in a rush, you got tickets all over the place. You don't want pieces of equipment that kind of jut out into your working area because you're going to catch your hip on them or your elbow. Anything you can do to design out injury is going to be in your interest. So if you get equipment from the same manufacturers, you won't have things sticking out like that. And if they are a little bit too long or too short, have that long and short variation along the back of your cooking line, not the front. Got it. And uh, I'm assuming it's much easier to clean. Yeah, absolutely. Because stuff isn't getting in the cracks between your items. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned cleaning because there's something else about features. Um, you can order different kinds of feet for your kitchen equipment. You can get just regular feet that your equipment stands on. So let's again, talk about that range. It will have either six inch high feet, um, six inches being what most health codes require that any cooking or storage of food happens at least six inches off the ground. So you can get six inch high feet and you can order those feet with what they call a, a, a bullet foot. So you can adjust them because I don't think I've ever been in a kitchen where the floor is perfectly level. And so you can have the feet ever so slightly varied in their length so that the equipment stays stable. That's one option. You can order it with what's called a, um, a curb base so that there's no feet at all and the equipment just sits on a concrete plinth or a curb. I do not recommend that for lots of reasons. Some people put in these concrete bases and the equipment sits on top of it and their argument is, oh, I don't have to worry about cleaning underneath my equipment. Yay. But here's the thing. Those concrete plinths are not solid. They are hollow. In other words, think of it as a big sort of O-shaped piece of concrete, and there's a depression in the middle. 
And that depression, you can't help it, is going to collect yuck. And then that yuck will attach little friends <laughs> or attract little friends. So I can tell you, if anybody listening is a former student of mine, and I know I have a few former students out there who are listening, which is awesome. Um, I used to tell a story about lifting a piece of equipment off one of these concrete plinths and just critters of all descriptions Ugh. coming up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So do not do the, the, the curb base. That's a bad thing. <laughs> So you got, I know, did I just gross everybody out? I'm sorry. So you have a choice of feet, a curb base, which you don't want to do, or casters, rollers. I like casters. And so, yeah. The other thing I, like I was thinking too, you have those those big cement blocks. What happens if you do want to redesign? You know, what happens you if you do? I hope you have a friend with a jackhammer. Exactly. Well, actually, if you want to redesign and just take one piece of equipment off, put another one on, it's not a big deal. But it's really not a good idea to have the curb. Um, we used to put them into big industrial kitchens back in the 50s and 60s. So if you're going into an old building and maybe there's been a kitchen there a long time, you might see these things. If you can, work with it. But if you are choosing to start from the beginning, don't put one in. I would not recommend that. But yeah, you want the the casters. And then if you get the casters... Another thing you'll want to have as a feature, although it'll cost you extra, is a flexible gas connection. So instead of a hard pipe that connects your piece of equipment to the gas line, it's a flexible hose with a quick disconnect on it. And these are expensive, but when you want to clean, oh my gosh, so much easier. And if you want to swap equipment out at some point, so much easier. Um, So that's another way to sort of think about what features you need for cleaning, for moving stuff around. I'm a big fan of the casters for sure. Beautiful. Um, awesome stuff. Lots of great little details. Um, are we ready to move into where to get this equipment? Yeah, I think we can. Right. And so you've got two stages to that process, right? One is looking up the information about manufacturers and, and so on. And I mentioned sort of going online and, and searching, but you may not even know which brands to search for. So there are some tools out there that will really help you. And the first tool is networks like this one, right? You're part of, if you're listening to this, you're probably part of the Restaurant Unstoppable Network. Talking to your fellow members and just ask them, what brand do you use? And are you happy with it? Again, it's like buying a car, right? You're going to talk to people. Oh, I see you've got a, you know, you got a Tesla. How do you like it? How's it working for you? Do the same thing with equipment. Ask around and people will tell you. They'll be very candid. Um, that's my first sort of go-to. But so, if you don't know people, there's other resources. Just a little reminder to everyone who's listening. At this point, we have in the order of things that you've dropped on us, we have started with asking ourselves, what are we going to cook, right? Or wait, the first thing is, how do you figure out the equipment we need? You don't need the perfect piece of equipment. I mean, you dropped so many notes on me right now. I've lost. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, like, I'm, like I'm buried. just a fire hose when but it comes I'm, to equipment. But you said, start with the end in mind. What do we want to cook? And then we'll reverse engineer. Why don't you just hit those bullets for it? Like summarize sure. the, the order of operation up to this point. Sure. Start with what do you want in terms of equipment? What do you want to prepare? Yep. Make sure that you're not getting too much or too little of any one piece of equipment. Got not it. putting too much pressure on it. Then figure out how much of that equipment you need, what capacity. Got it. Then what are the features that are important to you? Size, utilities, add-ons, connection to other equipment, cleaning. Can you get parts? Can you repair it? We haven't talked about cost yet. We'll get there. And then the next thing is, okay, how do you decide on what brand or what features 
And part of that is getting good information. So talking to other restaurateurs, whether they're in the network or people you know, is a great place to begin. Which, which brings us to where we are right now, how to get this information. So first start with friends and, and just people in the industry, networks, professional networks. What else? Um, certainly, you can look at a couple of publications there are two magazines, and I think most of their stuff is digital now, but you can still actually get the hard copy magazines that they're a very narrow market, but they're incredibly useful. And one of them is called Food Service Equipment Reports Magazine. Their website is fermag.com, fermag.com. And the other one is Food Service Equipment and Supplies Magazine, or FESMAG. Dot com. Ooh, so food service equipment reports, food service equipment and supplies. You know you're a, you're a, going to be alone forever when you sit there reading them at night. <laughs> uh, do you, I'm actually I'm, I'm, I'm subscribing to both these magazines right now because I want to geek out. Um, so are those owned by the same people? I believe they are. I would hope uh, so with, with two emails like that or two uh, yeah. web, web addresses like that. There's definitely some tension between the two if they're not owned. There are. And the difference between them is FER Mag, Food Service Equipment Reports, is kind of like consumer reports for kitchen equipment for the commercial industry. So they'll say, okay, we're going to test eight fryers and we're going to test them on these dimensions and then we'll tell you which one we think is the best. So that's a really useful tool, especially for things that performance is so important. Um, FES mag food service equipment and supplies goes beyond equipment and talks about everything from paper products to, uh, to non-production equipment. Um, again, you can go to their websites and, and you can read sort of basic stuff for free. And if you want to look at the comparison reports and things, you've got to pay for that, but it's a very reasonable amount of money. Um, I find those resources very helpful. Um, there's also a, and I'm going to say there used to be, I hope it's still out there, a, a database, a searchable database where you can say, I'm looking for a reach-in refrigerator. Who makes them? And it'll give you a list. And that is at the website of NAFM, the National Association of Food Service Equipment Manufacturers. What's the NAFM.org. N-A-F-E-M. <laughs> N-A-F-E-M, National Association of Food Service Equipment Manufacturers. Jesus. And it's an org. It's not a com. Um, And they have a searchable database so you can find manufacturers of people who are members of this organization. But it's kind of the big kahuna. And they have a conference every couple of years. It's just the geekiest thing in the world. All the Um, best friends hang out there. Oh my gosh, it's, it's stainless steel forever. You know, you've never seen so much stainless steel in your life. But there also are local uh, equipment shows, food ser- or the uh, Restaurant Association, uh, National Restaurant Association will have a show uh, once the pandemic is over and we're actually doing things in person again. Usually their big show is in Chicago every May, but they also have regional shows. And, you know, it costs very little to go to these things and you can walk around and look at stuff and kick tires and, and it's a great way to gain information. Don't buy anything while you're at the show because it's really easy to get excited and buy more than you need. But it's a great place to just check stuff out and get advice. Yeah, uh, I'm curious. You mentioned uh, with the uh, FERmag.com how they kind of just compare and contrast different equipment that does the same thing. Do you is, is there what, what is the equivalent for restaurant software? Who, who's doing that best right now? I have no idea because that's not really my area. Um, if you know, somebody must. 
if you know somebody who would know the answer to that, because I would love to collaborate with it, because there's just so it's so overwhelming right now. There's so much um, going out there. I, I think I, I might have an idea, but anyway, yeah, if, that would if nobody is, there's an idea, business idea for somebody <laughs> to put that together. It's just tough know what you're, just know what you're getting yeah. into. <laughs> I feel like that would be such a oh my god, it's, and it's constantly changing and evolving. You know, it's it is it's such a it dynamic is. vertical. You know. Uh, okay, so we covered uh, some of these. So we talked about uh, going to your friends, your network, and just asking around professional networks, publications. What else? Um, the certainly the, the shows, and you know, you mentioned software. Just something came to mind. There is a show that happens every year. Again, when the pandemic's over, it's called High Tech H I T E C, and it's hospitality industry technology. Um, so you could try going to their website, their organization, and they might have resources to help you with the technology piece. Um, while we're on the topic of technology, I'm, I'm glad you raised it because that's something else about kitchen equipment. A lot of companies are now putting all kinds of technological bells and whistles on their equipment. That was my next question. Sorry, keep going. And, you know, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm old school, but my feeling is the more stuff like that you have, the more breaks um, I have friends who have cars that have all the bells and whistles, you know, they've got the sensors that tell you if, you know, you're backing up in funny ways or your door is doing funny things. And those things tend to break. Um, it's better to get simple than all these extra bells and whistles. So my plan after all this was to, to kind of, to gauge your, or just to gauge your knowledge or, or just see where you were, your, your, just your thoughts on where the industry is going, because equipment is going to be, a. a increasingly i think the the you know you look at your prime costs i think labor is going to go down and your your equipment is probably going to start to flood into your prime costs because you're going to you're going to have like maintenance like regular maintenance that's going to like if we're going to robotics is where i'm going like so like the future of the industry a lot of people are saying robotics so a lot of people are like well okay you buy this equipment then you have all the maintenance that's associated with it but i think what this might do this might be a good thing for the industry in the sense that it's going to open up a ton of opportunity for mechanical just mechanical opportunities within the industry because of the robotics associated in the maintenance associated there's gonna be so many specialists that are needed just to keep up with the maintenance on these things. Some people think that's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. It's going to create a lot of opportunities within the industry, uh, better paying jobs, more security. You know, that's one of the issues with our industry, right? What are your thoughts as I'm saying this? Well, I think you're not wrong that robotics and, and uh, connected technology is going to be important, but it's not important for the startup restaurateur, really. Those, that approach yes. is a... <laughs> but how soon on the horizon is that going to be? Uh, we're a ways away from that. I, five I mean, years, wait, 10 wait, years. Are we 20 years? Are we? Because there, the restaurant industry, even though we're seeing a lot of technological change, it's very hard to turn this ship because we have so many small players and that's okay. Small players are what actually creates the energy and the innovation in this business. The innovations are not coming from Applebee's and Panera. Applebee's and Panera are looking out to see what are the really clever startup scrappy people doing? Oh, we're going to build on that. And we have the resources to then roll it out and use technology to make that profitable. So I think you're going to see that, you know, for example, equipment that is um, that talks to its uh, to each other and talks to 
repair places. Let me give you an example. There are um, walk-in refrigerators that you can have a system on it that will, not only can you track the temperature of your walk-in on your phone, so you can make sure the walk-in is holding temperature, but it will call service by itself when it needs it. That's great. But if you're a startup restaurateur, A, that's a lot of money to spend up front, and B, that's something else that can break. That kind of, of technology is when you start getting to more and more units and you need that data. You need to know across you know, 40 restaurants, are we doing the same thing with our baking times and temperatures? Can we connect all our ovens together? Okay. Oh, we see unit 27 is they're under baking their bread. You got to, you got to change that or better still, we could just program centrally. You need to change your temperature and timing on that bread oven. But for the individual startup, I think we're not there. So what about talking about sensors? I think, you know, with all the technology that's coming in the, in the restaurant industry, you're seeing a lot of sensors within like refrigeration units, right? So now um, you don't necessarily have to check the temperature every day to make sure it's at 40, what is it? 42 degrees um, or lower. Was that, am I getting my temperatures right? It's um, been a you while want it to be lower, but around 40, yeah. depending on what you're storing. Yeah. Um, slightly different temperatures for meat than you do for produce. But now there's, are these, are you seeing more and more of these refrigeration units having these sensors built in that have like the alarm? So if you're at home at three o'clock in the morning and like your refrigerator shuts off, like you get an alarm that, it, so like that stuff's becoming standard in a lot of this equipment, is it not? It is on certain things like a walk-in, and it makes sense because think of the inventory. Think of the value of the inventory that you have. So, But would you put those sensors on you know, everything? Maybe not. Um, this is, again, where you have to be judicious in where you're using your capital. And where going to the equipment shows can be dangerous because you start seeing, all the, ooh, look, I can measure the temperature of my fryer from home. That's not as important. You don't have inventory in your fryer. Yeah, gotcha. But, but I think... We're starting to see a wide range of technological applications. And the ones that I think you should focus on are things that either allow you to retain quality of your inventory, um, to make sure that your product is consistent. Uh, and again, if you have multiple units, that's where it becomes really important. Or make it easier on the staff that you have. Um, I have yet to see pieces of equipment that kind of eliminate the human element in any effective or efficient way. You might have heard of this chain. I don't know if it's a chain. It's certainly one restaurant in San Francisco. What's that? I was going to say Spice, but keep going. No, I'm thinking of the one that makes the the robotic burgers in San Francisco, and the name is escaping me. Oh, uh, I think I know. It has like the infrared sensor, so it, it tells it like basically is looking at, and it's basically reading the internal temperature of the burger, and that's when it knows when to flip it. I, mm, that wasn't what I was thinking of. It's oh. just a big machine. It's like a Rube Goldberg machine that makes the burger. You watch it do it. Okay. And you know, it's it's a sort of a forgive me. I think it's a bit of a gimmick because a human can make that burger a heck of a lot faster. Yeah. Well, there <laughs> is a certain level of draw right now. If that if you're doing these things that are like if if it's a it's it's a just juxtaposition. You know, like people are like who are into that techie sci-fi futuristic sort of thing. That's your target market. They're going to want to go see the future of food. But for how long? Once. Exactly. Right? Yeah. It, it's like, I don't know how many of, of the listeners out there remember the 90s and the theme restaurant trend in the 90s where you had restaurants that were you know, all about Cafe. going to Mars or all about fashion or whatever. I think some of these kind of, I'm going to use, I'm an old lady, so I'm going to use the term whiz-bang technology. I think 
you go once and you're like, oh, this is cool, but I've been there, done that. Now I'm ready for something else. I think focus on what's going to have the most impact on maintaining food quality, food safety, making it easy for your labor to do what they need to do best, which is interact with your guests, make sure that they are happy, healthy, and productive. Um, and I do it in that order. Okay. Yeah. Happy, healthy, uh, then productive. Um, the, the technological change we're continuing to see is, is interesting, but for the startup restaurateur, and we're going to sort of now segue into where do you get this equipment? A lot of this stuff with the, the sort of more up-to-date technology, you have to buy it new. And that is the most expensive way to get your equipment. Yeah, which is a probably a really good segue into our next section is how to acquire. But any other uh, tips or tricks or uh, pieces of knowledge ab- around where to get the information, where to learn more about this equipment? Um, I think we've sort of hit the high points. Um, I, there's nothing better than just walking through restaurants that you admire and looking to see what they have. Um, recognizing that it may not be the right piece of equipment for you necessarily, but you'll see some brand names just kind of float to the top. Yeah. So you'll see them over and over. And there's a reason for that because it's good stuff. I am curious, and this didn't really come up, but it is technically equipment. But what about things that are fabricated? I mean, we talked a little bit about if you're doing it yourself, the DIY. Or D, do, I always mix up the Y and the I for some reason. DIY. <laughs> yeah. Um but what if you're like fabricating because uh, you can't just go in there and like start uh, welding like a grill with for oh. an open pit fire. Like w- what are the steps you have to no. go through if you want to well, do like. Actually, you can't. Can. If you're doing outdoor, like let's say you're going to do an outdoor barbecue concept okay, and you're just going to make your own barbecue pit because it's just a, a metal box with a grill on top of it. Yeah. That's one thing you can do. Okay. You're outside um, and you're using wood. There's no gas line. There's a sure you can make that yourself. Same thing with a smoker. You know, what about if you're inside because you're seeing this is inside. like a lot of open open fire cooking is it's trendy or was trendy and I think it's it's still kind of trendy where people want to you know yeah if you I wouldn't I'd be a little nervous about using it inside because you're around you're around gas lines you know uh, gas connections yeah. so I would be a little nervous about that um, I would probably buy equipment that's designed for use indoors. But if you're doing stuff outdoors, you want to take a, you know, a metal barrel and cut it open with an acetylene torch and make your own little smoker. And yeah, you know, you can do that. But when you mention fabrication, it, it sort of brings up another point, which is things like prep tables and dish tables, things that aren't cooking equipment, but still equipment that you need in your kitchen. A lot of that is, can be custom fabricated. You know, a stainless steel fabricator can make exactly what you want. There are a couple of things to be aware of if you choose to go that route. Uh, one is it's more expensive. You could get exactly what you need. A lot of the times the, the sort of tabling that you buy out of catalogs, sometimes the grade of steel they use might be a little on the thin side. Um, you know, I talk to people about, you know, how do you tell if you're getting good quality or not? One of the things is cheap equipment is cheap for a reason. And sometimes they're using a grade of steel that's just too thin. And we talk about steel in terms of gauge. So the smaller the number, the thicker the steel. So you hear about 14 gauge or 16 gauge. Those are good gauges for uh, your tabling. Once you get to like 18 and 20, 
Uh, 18 is fine for a sink, but not for the, the countertop itself or the table itself. 20 gauge, I can bend 20 gauge myself. And I am a wimpy middle-aged lady. So, so I have no problem. And 22, it's like Yuri Geller and a spoon. I can just like well, make this, it, this, it just uh, melt. That's aluminum foil, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so uh, when you're looking at things like tabling, if you want to have it custom fabricated, it will cost you more. You can get exactly what you want. Um, also, make sure you measure exquisitely for your space because once that item is made, it's really There's hard no to longer. adapt it. Yeah. And you'll get all kinds of you know things that don't align. And having a, a, a caulking gun with uh, waterproof silicone caulk in your hand when the equipment comes in so you can seal all the little holes of things that don't line up is probably a good idea. All right. I'm loving this conversation. One more quick break to thank our sponsors, and then we'll be right back to talk about how to acquire this stuff. And actually, before we go to the break, do you have anybody that you know who does fabrication? Is there somebody in your network that you would refer to us? They're all local. So stainless steel fabrication tends to be done regionally, if not locally. Um, So I don't have a name for you. But again, when you're walking around talking to people that you admire and and touring their kitchens, ask them, do they have anything fabricated and who did it? And are they happy? Got it. All right. One more quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Talk to the Manager. Look, nowadays people rather send you a text message than speak to you directly face to face. That's just the way people choose to communicate. And there's not much we can do about it. Or is there? Talk to the Manager allows guests to share feedback or ask questions in a way that makes them feel comfortable and is also convenient to you. Don't worry about personal information being shared. Customers won't see your personal phone number, just the number that Talk to the Manager provides. You can even delegate customer feedback and divide the workload amongst your managers. Multiple managers can receive these texts. When one manager replies to a customer, the other staff will see their responses too. What I personally love most about Talk to the Manager is that you can fix issues immediately in private before complaints go public online. Many times when people do write a negative review, it's because they just want to be heard. And Talk to the Manager gives them that outlet to be heard before they bring it publicly and drag your name through the mud. Plus, with Talk to the Manager, get issues brought to your attention, whether it's an issue with your restaurant's service, product, or facility. Your guests will let you know whether you want to hear it or not, but this will help you improve. Using Talk to the Manager is so intuitive that no technology is required. If you can send a text message, you can use Talk to the Manager. Show guests you care enough to listen with Talk to the Manager. Head to talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable to sign up for your 60-day trial. That's www.talktothemanager.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a modern labor management platform designed by restaurateurs for restaurateurs. And effective labor management is more important than ever to ensure profitability and restaurant success, especially with this labor shortage. You need to rely and trust technology more than ever before. And dialing in your labor management is one of the most positive, dramatic impacts you can make 
on your business's bottom line. And when it comes to labor management, Seven Shifts is one of the most, if not the most, organically recommended labor management platforms on the show. Trusted by over 500,000 restaurant professionals, Seven Shifts gives you the complete toolkit you need to easily manage your team's schedules, timesheets, communication, tasks, tips, and more, all from one place. Best of all, Seven Shifts integrates with the POS and payroll system you're already using, like Toast, to make smart operating decisions and turn labor management into a competitive advantage for your business. Restaurant Unstoppable members get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get three months of industry leading labor management for free. We're back and now we're going to talk about money and how to acquire this equipment. And this is, man, this is important stuff because people spend way too much money on their restaurants, but get into it. (laughs) You can. And there, the first question is what do I have to buy new and what can I buy used? And then later we'll talk about the whole leasing thing. If leasing is, is part of your equation. So we were talking about equipment with technological features. I would say those you should buy new um, because the technological features, A, they're changing all the time and it's the first thing to break on a lot of equipment. So if you're really married to the idea of having something with sensors that talks to your phone or whatever it might be, buy it new. Um, But a lot of things you can buy used and in fact, it's better to buy used. So anything that doesn't have a motor, so shelving, prep tables, sinks, um, uh, you know, certainly carts and, and garbage cans, all that kind of stuff. You can get that used. There is no reason to buy that new. Um, and you want to make sure you're getting good quality. So, for example, with shelving, um, I like to, you know, stand on the lower shelf and kind of jump up and down and see whether the shelving unit deflects terribly or not. Um, you, you know, buyer beware with used, and we'll talk about places to get used in just a second. But anything that doesn't have a motor, buy it used. And you'd be amazed the things that do have motors. Obviously, refrigeration has a motor, right? Because the refrigeration system has a compressor. Um, you can get used refrigeration as long as it's been well-maintained. It's okay to buy it used. The problem with the, the issue of maintenance is, let's, let's face it, if a restaurant is in trouble and not doing well, the last thing they're going to spend money on is maintenance of their equipment. So do recognize that used refrigeration often has been abused refrigeration and it might need some reconditioning or definitely a good clean. If you're going to get uh, cockroaches in your kitchen, often they will come in in a motor. So if you're getting a used refrigerator and you bring it into your kitchen, chances are there are cockroaches in the motor because Cockroaches love motors, right? They're warm, they're dark, they've got lubricants in them. That's a happy place if you're a cockroach. So So, uh, when you say deep clean, is that like actually taking the motor apart and like rebuilding the motor? Okay. Yeah. And you can, a lot of good manufacturers, their compressor motors will be on rails. You can actually slide it out. Um, and, you know, pull it away, not take it off the machine completely, but just slide it out and you can get in there and really clean. I have a, a friend who started a barbecue restaurant not too far from here and his entire equipment budget, he spent $75,000, which is not very much. 
He bought almost everything used and he just cleaned it all himself. He brought things out in his parking lot and he got a huge thing of long uh, handled Q-tips and, you know, hydrogen peroxide and vinegar. And he just went at it and he spent weeks cleaning the stuff all up. But he was able to save probably 70 percent on his equipment budget just by cleaning it himself. So use stuff perfectly fine. Um, Use things like ranges, bake ovens. um, You know, they're simple pieces of equipment. The only thing moving they have in terms of parts is usually a solenoid valve. And those are inexpensive to replace. So you can get a lot of good equipment used. Um, If you're looking at something like a fryer that has a lot of electronics or has a basket lifter, I'm a little nervous about getting those used. But a simple fryer Sure. Go ahead. What makes it a simple fryer? Just a heating element in oil? Yeah. Yeah. And fryers, the the really old ones are what we call tube fryers. You don't want one of those. And the reason for that is because they're really hard to clean. Um, Fryers tend to, it's hard to sort of do this in a a way that people who are listening can see it. But fryers are sort of have this uh, fry basket or fry uh, pot, and then they have a rounded bottom to them. And there's a narrowing between the fry pot and where the rounded bottom is. They call that the cold zone where little bits of of batter and stuff fall down. You've got these uh, tubes that have the gas burning in them that are actually providing the heat to the fat. It's hard to get in there and clean if it's a true tube fryer. So I try to tell people don't buy those used. But a simple fryer just has the fry pot, the, the, the gas connection. I would recommend a gas fryer. Um, it's just going to be a much better job than an electric. And uh, the simple ones that don't have basket lifters, don't have fancy electronics, you just have a dial in the front to turn to the temperature. That is a perfectly good thing to buy used. Got it. Um, so looking at the list here, um, you, you started talking about cleaning, doing the self-cleaning. You mentioned uh, hydrogen peroxide, vinegar, long Q-tips, any other tricks of the trade or uh, cleaning when you're, when you're cleaning equipment chemicals to stay, steer away from that you see people using it. why hydrogen peroxide and vinegar why well are those it's just because they're inexpensive hydrogen peroxide and vinegar are amazingly good cleaning and baking soda too yeah. you know if you need an abrasive baking soda is great and it's just that they're they're environmentally friendly and they're inexpensive got it um so i'm a big fan I wasn't sure if there was more of that or not uh okay so we're talking about how to acquire uh we talked about what to buy um if, if it's technology anything that's a new technology get that new uh when it mm-hmm. comes to used anything without a motor you listed a bunch of things refrigeration is kind of iffy it depends you said if it's well maintained how do we know what are, what are some some tells some signs that it's well maintained how do we just know that it's well maintained well if it's clean that's one thing yeah right? Um, that's usually the best indicator because if something is clean, chances are people have been paying attention to it. Um, and we've all seen cooking equipment. That's not clean. It's like really kind of scary. But (laughs) Are there logs that people keep logs on this equipment? Is that, is that something that you recommend doing? If you you can, absolutely. And there's even, there's even software that you can get that tracks, you know, maintenance and, um, but let's face it, most restaurateurs probably are not the kind of people who keep logs on when something was maintained. Now, you might have it for your big items. Like, for example, if you're buying an existing restaurant, there should be logs of when the, the ductwork was cleaned because you'll bring in a service to do that. That's something you can't do yourself. And so you'll bring in a service 
and that service, you'll have records. So, you know, when was the ductwork last cleaned? Maybe maintenance on a walk-in refrigerator. Um, but chances are you probably don't have records for maintenance on other things. But cleanliness is a pretty good indication of something's been taken care of. Again, it's like buying a car, right? Um, you'll not only look to see if it's clean, but you'll fire it up and see, you know, does it come to temperature? Does it... You know, is the gas flame nice and even if you're buying a, a used saute range? You know, get it. see if you yeah. get it connected. If it's not connected, that's a little tough to do. Um, so uh, back to this idea about what to buy when buying used things. Are there any solid resources, uh, like online resources, places to go uh, that you, I mean, like, to like actually buy used equipment that there's a lot of things out there, but are there any that like you have impressed you as far as their standard of quality or anything along those lines? I don't know of any sort of national ones. Um, I will tell you that there's sort of an inverse relationship um, with cost and security, right? I shouldn't say inverse. It's probably a linear relationship. Equipment dealers will sell used equipment. And they're usually a pretty good place to buy used equipment in terms of quality and reliability, but you'll pay more for that um, because they know that well, they're going to make money on it. You know, they're they're behind it. Yeah, it's like buying a used car from a car dealership. You can, but you'll pay more. You can buy used equipment at auction, which is risky. Buyer beware. There are some auction houses, and again, auctions are very regional. Um, many of them have a very good reputation. Um, and you'll know, you know, you'll drive into the auction site and you'll you tell if it's a well-managed business or if it's kind of sketchy. Um, eBay, believe it or not, has a lot of kitchen equipment available. And I've heard some people have great experience buying used equipment on eBay. But like anything else, it's buyer beware. Yeah. Um, so if you can seeing the equipment before you buy it is I think really important. Craigslist, same thing. Got it. Um, you can see it uh, and see what kind of condition it's in. It's a great place to buy equipment back on the topic of what to buy new. You mentioned anything technological, like technological equipment. And that's kind of where you stop with what to buy new. Is that it? Um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of buying new if you don't have to. Um, a lot of people will say, I'm going to buy as much used as I can and the technological stuff or the stuff that's finicky, I'm going to lease. So let's talk a little bit about the whole leasing versus buying thing, because a lot of restaurateurs don't have a lot of capital up front, right? And you think, okay, how can I cut my development budget? I know I'll lease my equipment. Then that way I just have a monthly payment, which is an expense. It's not capital that I have to raise before I open. Let's do that. Well, a couple of things to be aware of. A lease is a loan. So it's if you can't get a loan, nobody's going to lease to you because essentially it's an unsecured loan. The equipment doesn't have that much value, really. A company that leases to you doesn't really want to have to take that equipment back. So you have to qualify for a lease the same way you have to qualify for a loan. But leasing companies will charge you a lot for the use of that equipment on a lease. Um, and for that reason, I would never recommend that you lease things like shelving or prep tables or anything that doesn't really have a way to break. Um, a lot of companies will try to give you a lease package for all your equipment. You will pay so much more if you go that route. So there's only a couple of things I would recommend that you actually lease. One is your ice I was going to guess the ice machine. Yeah, ice machine. Yeah, oh, you, got you got me. Oh, you, you yeah, so I should have let you jump in. <laughs> no. Can you guess this? There's two pieces, ice machine, and what do you think the other one is? Mm, 
What anything that has high turn of refrigeration? No, I, well, in refrigeration, I'd say dishwasher. Uh, yeah, things that break often because you're things that break often, and when they break, you are down, yeah. right? <laughs> so, ice machine, you're absolutely right because the ice machine is the most likely piece of equipment to break and has the shortest life of all the equipment that you put in a, in a kitchen, and it makes sense, right? Because you've got this thing trying to make ice in a hot, humid environment. Now, <laughs> the there's, a, thing. there's a few ice. I mean, that's a big industry, ice um, leasing or ice machine leasing. And while we're talking about ice machines, a couple of little sort of extra handy hints is rather than get one big ice machine, if you need a lot of ice, if you sort of thought through, okay, I'm, I'm working with, you know, fish that I have to have on ice and I need ice for beverages and I'm going to use ice for bringing temperature down on products that I'm going to chill and hold. If you're going to use a lot of ice, you're better off getting two smaller ice machines and one big bin than a big ice machine in a big bin. Because if you've got two small ones, one can go down and you're still in business. You've still got ice. If you have a big ice machine, when it goes, that's it. So I encourage you to think about how much ice you need. And if you need a lot, get two cubers and one big bin. Well, so, I mean, it's cool. more about the rate of production. So if you have two machines making ice, then you're just moving the ice to where you need it, like into the bar and stuff like that. Well, you could put those two machines on top of the same bin is what I mean. Oh, so. Okay. Instead of having ice being made in different parts of the kitchen or different parts of the facility, if you have a central place where ice is being made, having two cubers sitting on top of the same bin will save you if one of them. Right. Um, Ice machines give off a lot of heat. So actually making ice at the bar is often not a desirable thing. Um, You often have a central place where the ice is being produced and then you're going to take it to where you need it. Um, that's usually how we like to set stuff up because you want that ice machine back to this whole thing about features. They tend to be air cooled. Um, and for that reason, they need lots of air movement around them. That's why they break all the time. It's not that ice machines are badly made. They're not. It's just that we're putting them in places in the kitchen where they really struggle to work. And we often put them in a little sort of a niche or a nook and cranny and they don't get the air volume that they need. So the compressor goes down and now you got a dead machine. Um, so great little part tips. Of it, these are great little tips, little things you can do to, to you know, stretch your equipment, longer lifestyle for your life cycle, I guess. Um, sorry to interrupt you. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. We, so we talked about leasing ice machine and a dishwasher. And sometimes you'll get these lease packages where the dishwashing, um, the supplier of your chemicals will lease you the machine as well. Um, there is one national company, Ecolab. I'm sure everybody's heard of them. Um, but they're, they're, that can be an okay deal, not so much because of the cost, but because if your dish machine goes down, they are on it, as opposed to if you own that dish machine, now you got to call a, a manu- or, um, repair person. You may not be getting service for a few days. I think an ice machine and dish machine are good to lease. Don't lease anything else. So Ecolab was a past sponsor um, on the show. I did not know that they got into equipment. I thought they were just chemicals. They they will they will have a package where they will lease you the dish machine as well. Oh, um, and in some ways that can be a good thing for operators. But every your mileage may vary, right? Every pro- or, uh, project is different. Um, and there are all kinds of dish machines you can get. You know, there's the door type, and there's the ones that. take your rack right through. It's called a rack conveyor. It's like a car wash for dishes. 
Um, depending on your volume, you can even get bigger ones. You might have seen these monster ice or excuse me, monster dishwashers. So talk to your vendors, like for example, your equipment or your um, chemical vendor, and see what they offer. Same thing with coffee equipment. If you're doing a lot of coffee, I mean a lot, you might be able to get the vendor to provide you with the brewing equipment on a lease arrangement. Um, but sometimes it's because you have to buy so much coffee and you're kind of locked into them. Depending on your concept and your volume, that may be good for you and it may not, but it's yeah. worth investigating. I mean, so again, sorry, I, there's always a little delay with the remote recording. So that's why I apologize if I keep talking over you. But I mean, I, I hear the idea of leasing a bunch of stuff and that for me, just based off of what I learned is a huge like danger zone because you want to keep your monthly expenses as low as possible. And I think again, people kind of, they, they get excited. They want to, they want to execute their vision on day one. They'll do whatever it takes. They'll remortgage their house. They'll, you know, put up one of their kids for sale if they have to. (laughs) And they just, they, they overextend so often start small, have a vision, have a dream and work towards it every day, but don't go for it all at once because you're going to get yourself into trouble. That's a great piece of advice. And another reason, start with used equipment. Start with simple. You can always ramp it up as you grow yourself. I mean, I would encourage people, honestly, and it sounds a little snake in the grassy, but if you have an idea of what you want and you know there's other restaurants out there that do something similar to what you want to do, and maybe you notice their business hasn't really been great or they have an an underperforming location, it never hurts to approach a restaurant and say, Hey, are you interested in selling? You might think that you're insulting this person. You could also be their saving grace. You know, like so many times people just are done and they want to get out and they don't know what to do. And they just wish they had somebody to walk up to them and say, take this off my hands. You can be that person. And the worst thing that you're going to get is no, but if you can be, if you can walk in and turnkey a location and just, Go right in there. I think well, you had a different expression for it. Did you not? No, a white label. Sorry. No, white label is when you start from scratch. What's the other? I just interviewed uh, somebody talking about leasing, and uh, I can't remember the term he used. Not important. Um, anything we have not discussed? We haven't gotten to the money part yet, have we? We, we really haven't got to my part yet, but you raise a really good point, which is not only look for restaurants that might be interested in selling everything, but if you know a restaurant is doing great, go talk to them as well about buying their surplus equipment because they might be expanding or they mm-hmm. might be renovating because they're doing so well. You know, you you want a bake oven. You don't want to get a monster bake oven, but you know that these guys are going to be adding capacity. Maybe they're selling off some stuff they don't need. So, yeah, build your network personally. And just as you said, Eric, there's nothing wrong with asking. And the worst that can happen is say, no, nah, we're not selling anything right now. But, exactly. you know, here's my card. When, you, when you're moving on to a bigger unit, I'd be interested in buying that thing from you. Great advice. Great. I love it. Uh, let's talk about money. Money, 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 money. So the question everyone asks is how much is this all going to cost? And I'll use the car analogy again. You know, how much does a car cost? Well, it can cost all kinds of things depending on what you're doing. Um, when you're initially budgeting, so you're putting together a capital budget for a restaurant that you're starting from scratch. I tell people just as a round number, budget about $200 per square foot of kitchen area for your equipment. So $200 per square foot of kitchen equipment or kitchen area is a good starting point. Now that number 
may end up being way too high. And that's a nice problem to have, right? You don't need that much money. But it's better to over budget and underspend than the other way around. So $200 a square foot of kitchen space is a good starting point. In terms of where you uh, where you should spend your money is spend your money on things that influence food quality. So, for example, make sure you have good quality refrigeration. Spend the money there. Spend the money on things that uh, will allow you to be productive. So things that allow you to cook either faster or more items at the same time. Um, you're better off spending your money there and save your money on things that don't influence those two features. So here's an example. Um, Shelving. We were talking during one of the little breaks uh, about Eric's wire shelving that he has. If you're watching this on the video, you'll see he has some wire shelving he got from Lowe's. Was that where you got it? Um, It's it's not the good stuff that apparently Stephanie can tell from through my screen across the room in the background. She was like, Oh, you didn't get the good one. Did you? I don't know how you can just look from that distance. I'm on a a budget. Leave me alone, Stephanie. No, but it's a perfect (laughs) example that this is where you should buy the budget stuff. Shelving is one of those things. You know, if it's shelving, that's going into a dry storage area, like, you know, you've got a dry storage room. You, you don't even have to get the stuff, the, the wire shelving you have. Go to Ikea and buy their garage shelving. I don't know what it's called. It's like Blid or Splorg or whatever the name of it is. I don't know. But it's fine for dry storage. You know, garage shelving, perfectly fine. As long as you're storing things six inches above the floor and the shelving is adjustable, you're, you're fine. You don't need the fancy wire shelving in your dry storage. Spend the money instead on getting a better quality refrigerator. Um other places to save, um, again, I talked about used. With tabling, don't worry about getting custom tabling for your first restaurant. Make it work with tabling that you buy used that's, that's reasonable quality and reasonable condition um, because custom will cost you. Are you talking about and, front of house tabling or back of house tabling? Uh, I'm talking about back of house tabling. I should have assumed this is um, kitchen. Yeah, I'm focusing on back of house for all this conversation for sure. sure. We haven't even, you know, front of house is a whole different world. Um, but my feeling is if it's going to influence the quality of the food or your speed of production, that's where you focus your spending. And if it's equipment that has electronics or is fussy, in other words, it's, you know, like the ice machine, ice machine, dish machine, lease, fussy equipment by new, everything else by used. Yeah. And I would even throw on there too is with just my, in, in my gauging of where the industry is going, ergonomics is a big deal today too. spend money on things that are going to make your people feel healthy and happy uh, because that's really important right now. Uh, And it's, we're learning more and more about that and the significance of just a positive workspace culture and safety and and things like that. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. Um, And the thing is ergonomically, you know, the places where people are doing repetitive motion, that's the most important for selecting equipment that has the right features let's talk about prep tables, right? Let's say you've got someone who's cutting up vegetables for like three hours in the morning. That's a place where you can actually have a well-designed piece of equipment that's going to make it easier on them. I think when we talked about kitchen design, I talked about putting the sink in the middle of the table. So, you know, buy a used prep table that has the sink in the right place. So your employees are not having to twist or bend the wrong way to consistently do that activity. They've got a landing space on both sides of the sink. Um, recognize that 
people come in all different shapes and sizes. So again, we're talking about whether you choose casters or bullet feet for your equipment, you can adjust it a little bit, not, you know, for each person as they come in. One of the simplest things I ever saw, which I thought was brilliant, was a kitchen that had underneath all its prep tables, the operator had made these wooden boxes. They just, you know, gone out to the Home Depot or Lowe's and bought some some thick plywood, like one and a half inch plywood and made these wooden boxes with handles on them. And they were sitting on the floor underneath the prep tables and you can pull them out and stand on them. And they're bigger. In other words, they're, they're not like a little stool where you don't have any maneuvering room. It's a wooden box that's probably two foot square, or maybe two foot six square. So the person who's working there, if they're a smaller person, they can get to a comfortable height and work. You want your elbow to be bent at a 90 degree angle while you're working not too much below 90 and certainly not above 90 or you're going to get elbow strain. I nailed so, it with this keyboard, by the way, my standing desk. I'm looking down. I'm, I'm talking about 90 degrees. 90 degrees. Yeah. And it's sweet, right? That's the sweet spot for working. So if your employees are on, on the smaller side and you know, the prep tables, you don't want to necessarily drop your prep table, but you can use these, you know, this approach. Something else is when people are working at a, a piece of equipment, if they're working at the same piece for a long time if they raise one foot and rest it on something, it is much more comfortable and better for your back. So again, with prep tables, I like to make sure there is some cross bracing along the front so that the employee can just rest their foot on it while they're working. And it's a little bit easier. on Little things like that. What the cost of maybe $50 in materials less and, and your time invested to like make a box that little gesture will go such a long way with people who it makes a big deal out of their daily life. Like those little things um, when it comes to just thinking about your employees go so far today. Uh, and if you can spend, if you have to spend an extra $200, $500 to get the thing that's going to make the life of your people happier and you're not burning through people, you're going to make up that money eventually, you know? Absolutely. Happy, then healthy, then productive yeah. in that order. Beautiful. And too often we focus on the productive and then the other stuff kind of falls by the wayside. And that is not good, good management. It's not good use of funds and it's not being a good person. Yeah. Any other advice about money? Um, try to resist the urge to overbuy. I keep stressing that, but I see this a lot. And Eric, you referred to it too. It's so tempting to get the feature that you think well, that could be really useful because you talk yourself into it because, oh, I might need that. Or pieces of equipment you're not going to use very often or, you know, making decisions based on your emotions rather than rational thinking. And I'm going to leave, sort of finish off with this one other element about price. There's this, this idea called life cycle cost. So when you buy something, You don't think just about the initial purchase price, but what is it going to cost you over the life of that item that you're going to own? And we talked about this a little bit. We talked about repair and getting parts. So things like how much is it going to cost me to repair this item? How long does it take someone to clean it? That's money that you're spending on cleaning. Um, How often does it need maintenance? Is there any residual value to this piece of equipment? Will somebody else want it when I'm done with it? 
or is it pretty much exhausted? All of those things go into a life cycle cost calculation. And, you know, I'm sure you can find life cycle cost calculators online. You do a little Googling. But when you're buying your equipment, think not just about the initial purchase price, but what it's going to cost you to own it over the life of your business or until you're going to upgrade and make your decision based on that. Yeah. And I'll say one more thing when it comes to money. Don't be afraid to spend $300 an hour to talk to an expert who can save you a ton of money. So it's a little bit of a pitch for closing this up, but Stephanie is making herself available. If you guys have questions about if you're, if you're designing a restaurant right now, or if you're going to be designing a restaurant in the future uh, and you just want to show somebody your floor plans or just bounce some ideas off of somebody, make a list of all the ideas and questions you have. And when you're ready, reach out to Stephanie. Uh, Her rate is $300 an hour, but she's giving $50 of that back to me for helping her connect with uh, clients. And uh, thank you very much for doing that. It's an an affiliate fee or an association fee or whatever you want to call it. It's a, it helps me is what I know. And I'm very appreciative of that. So anything that we haven't mentioned before we officially sign off and say goodbye. I think the best thing you can do is don't do anything fast. Plan carefully mm-hmm. and you'll make good choices. If you do something quickly, the chances of making mistakes goes up. So do your due diligence. It's worth every penny. Yep. And again, this is part three of a three-part series. If you guys did not catch parts one and two, I highly recommend it. And uh, part one, uh, we talked about where to start, right? The big picture stuff. Big picture stuff. Yeah. That was episode 855. Part two was all about uh, the, the things you don't know until you know, the little nitty gritty stuff uh, that is less obvious. And today, obviously, we, we dove deep into equipment. Uh, any f- final thoughts, concerns, calls to action that I missed? There, there is one more thing, which is, you know, should you pay someone to design your kitchen and or select your equipment for you? And equipment dealers will help you and they will often just roll the cost of design into your purchase package of equipment. Um, If you're buying a lot of new equipment, that might be a good thing to do. Um, Recognize that they make their money on selling new equipment mostly. Um, But a dealer is not a bad person to reach out to for advice, um, but they need to be compensated somehow for that advice. So don't take... uh, assume that a dealer is going to mess with you. Sometimes they are your best resource, but recognize that you will need to buy something from them in compensation. Yeah. I think sales in general have come a long way. There's a kind of this movement right now of recognizing that you, you do better as a sales rep over time if you take care of people. So there is definitely a trend happening where people, the, the slimy salesmen of the world are hopefully going away slowly, but surely. Yes, uh, I hope so. They're, yeah. they're still out there. But if, if you, again, this is about relationships, right? Yeah. We go into this business because we want to have positive relationships with other people because that's what food is all about. Yeah. So cultivate positive relationships, not just with each other, not just with your guests, but also with your vendors and your suppliers because it's amazing the resources they can bring to the table for you. It's all businesses. This is a series of relationships. Absolutely. I've loved this conversation. Uh, I loved having you back for a second three-part series. And uh, how can we connect with you if we do want to reach out and maybe get some consultation on our build out? Well, the best way is just send me an email. Um, my email is skr4 at cornell.edu, and perhaps that will show up in the chat. Um, skr4 at cornell.edu. 
and uh, I'm happy to answer questions. I no longer design anything, so please don't ask me to design your restaurant for you, but I'm really happy to look over the drawings that you have or the ideas that you have or, you know, just give you some some ideas to think about. Um, but my goal is to help you take the knowledge that we develop at Cornell and allow you to be successful. So reach out to me that way. And this is episode 850. Nine. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 859 for a summary of today's discussion, as well as any tool, access to any of the tools or services recommended during the conversation and how to connect with Stephanie over there. And uh, I actually, I highly recommend that if you guys have not caught Stephanie's first workshop that we did, it was all about capital budgeting, correct? Yeah, yes? we walked through the financial model that's available from restaurantowner.com oh, about cool. how to complete the financial model, which is a capital budget and sales projections and labor and a bunch of stuff. Yeah, it, it was heavy. Um, great stuff. <laughs> Uh, head over to, uh, if you want to catch Stephanie's first session, uh, three-part series, it was all on business planning. Uh, we go really deep into capital budgeting, which I think is just one area where people really get in trouble. Those are episodes 820, 822, and 824. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. There is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for coming on uh, for another three-part workshop, this time on all things kitchen design and layout. So many great nuggets were embedded in these three separate sessions, uh, but I just can't say thank you enough for your support, and I would love to get you back here in the future. I know that. And just a quick reminder that Stephanie is offering her services to you, Restaurant Stoppable listeners. Uh, Her rate is $300 an hour. I'm telling you, that is a small rate to pay when you can alleviate so many potential disasters from happening. Uh, I'm telling you, this is a great area to invest your money because uh, you can save a lot in the long run. And $50 for every hour you spend with her will go back to me in supporting this mission to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. And I need all the support I can get right now because I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to scale this thing. We're trying to take more interviews on the road. And I actually, starting this coming week, we're going to be in New Orleans. I'm going to have a crew with me, videography, social media, we're really taking this thing to the next level and we're really going to be trying to capture more of the behind the scenes things that are happening. And when I'm on the road, generally there's only so much we can do with two people when when it's Jared and I, uh, but when we travel with a group of people, everyone's going to be focusing on their own thing. We're going to be just getting all the stuff that falls between the cracks that we're just too busy setting up or breaking down uh, or the, the post interview tours and conversations or the dinner that I, I have with my guests sometimes and I would love to mic these people up and just continue the conversation and just bring you guys way more footage uh, and that's kind of the the plan so I'm excited um, and we need your support it's going to take money so make sure you are using our links and you are scheduling demos uh, with the tools and services that are recommended on the show and uh, that you're you're supporting this podcast because we can't do it without you uh, so like I mentioned, we're going to be in New Orleans next week. I would love to meet you if you're out in that area. Please don't be shy. Reach out to me, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. And then when I get back from New Orleans, we have a couple workshops lined up. We're going to be going deep into Bitcoin and the uh, ramifications that's going to have in the restaurant industry. And we're going to be doing a workshop on critters and how to keep critters out of your restaurant. So come join us in February. All right. That's it for now. Until next time. Peace out.